Welcome to Book Talk for Book Talk, a literary podcast where we've been deep diving into your favorite novels. This is Jack. And I'm Amy. And our listeners love to share their thoughts and theories via email and voicemail, so we're sharing them via our weekly mini-episodes. The views expressed by the hosts and listeners are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author. This podcast is a discussion shared to spark thought and conversation on the characters and themes of this novel. Spoilers may be discussed with or without warning. Explicit language, as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, death, and depression will recur throughout this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to our mini-episode series. During each mini, we'll be reading listener feedback and theories, as well as discussing all things Sarah J. Mass, including her Akatar, Crescent City, and Throne of Glass series. This is from Cody. Hot take. There are a lot of parallels between Twilight and Akatar. Bella's Feyre, not wanting to celebrate birthday. Edward, Reese, Jacob, Tamlin, Rosalie, Nesta, Nesta slash Moore, Alice, Elaine slash Amarin, Emmett, Cassian, Asriel, Jasper, Mike, Newton, Lucian. <laughs> I don't know that I disagree with that. Uh, not at all. <laughs> it's interesting that there's the same makeup. Oh, I'm going to add. What's what's the name of the girl Anna Kendrick plays that's really into Mike Newton? Jessica. Jessica Vassa. Yeah. I hate how quickly I knew that. Like, <laughs> oh, Jessica? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I thought it was Jessica, but then I doubted myself. It's pretty bit. Yeah. It, it's, I don't want to say. It's not a basic name, but it is like for a, for a book where you're like, everyone has like this fancy name. And you got Jessica. Yeah. It's true. I love Jessica's. But I have a reason for this. Please elaborate. So if we go back to the dissertation mm-hmm. that I wrote for my master's degree, the gender politics of vampirism. Which, by the way, we had a listener say they want a link to that so they can read it. I should post it on like a Google Drive or something. Or Patreon or something. Yeah, I really should. Anyway, so in there, I talk about vampirism started before romance novels And romance novels pulls quite a bit from vampires and the vampire lore. And there ends up being a formula to romance novels, which is kind of a similar formula to vampires. And because this is a romance novel of sorts, it would make sense that SJM would pull from that formula. Yeah. I forgot about the formula and the link between vampirism and romance and you are correct i believe yeah. you thank you not you're not correct but i do believe you <laughs> Wait, what Dude, we went backwards on this i was nodding that took a second to have like excuse me you're not correct i mean i mean i'm i'm assuming you are correct how's that i i didn't mean that you're wrong i, I just need better support from you I, i'm assuming you're correct i'm being a bad where's friend. your blind faith in me Follow me into battle. No, thanks. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's like really popular with romance novels is that typically, I mean, I don't I don't see this as much nowadays, but it used to be that romance novels, the main character, and you'll see it in Twilight, is kind of not super descript on how mm-hmm. they're described. Normally, they have like brown hair. Not really, again, nothing super distinct about them. And that's meant for the female reader to identify more as them. And even though Farah is more distinct, but there's something about her 
not being the most beautiful that I feel like everyone can relate to on some level. Yeah. Although all of you guys are gorgeous. But, you know, there's always that like there's that like I feel like we all know someone that we feel like is prettier than us or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not like them type of feeling. And that's a very romance trope. Right. Right. So that you basically substitute yourself with the protagonist. I mean, and there's always going to be the more beautiful person. Like, and for Bella, that was Rosalie. For Farah, that's everyone else that she compares herself to. Yeah. And then there's, what's her name? Dakota Johnson in Fifty Shades of Grey. Anastasia. Anastasia. Same idea. Yeah. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey was Twilight. Yeah, I know. This email is from Sarah. I just finished listening to your episode on chapters 13 through 15 on Wings and Ruin, and I loved your mention of Eris potentially wearing a mask for his father and putting on a show by beating Feyre on the ice. I would like to offer a slightly different interpretation of the mask he's wearing and the fighting tactics you pointed out that he was using. For those of you who don't remember, we said it was very much like abuse towards women. Yeah. Sarah says, while you interpreted the attack as more disrespectful and not how a true warrior would fight... I had specifically noted that everything Eris did was not lethal and something that would not truly harm Feyre. Eris could have done far more damage to Feyre, but did not because he didn't use actual weapons. He's not even really trying very hard to capture her as he has her bound, but makes no move to take her anywhere, not even back to where his men are gathered. It was truly as if Eris was doing as much as he could to look like he was harming Feyre while waiting for someone to rescue her. I needed that because I do love Eris so much for very little that we're given. But for what we're given, I really do like him. And that scene was always really hard for me mm-hmm. to process because it just felt so vicious and nasty yeah. towards Farah. And I will still say that it does have an aspect of violence against women. But I yeah. do believe that's part. I mean, I'm hoping that was just part of the mask. But they make a really good point. That none of it was lethal. Yeah, no, I, I'm like you, I really am glad that Sarah submitted that because it's hard to reconcile that scene with what we think we know of Eris now. And from an outsider's perspective, it does look really shitty. And so it's a, in that way, it's a great performance for his brothers who are watching. There's, I, the second we get more of Eris, he's going to be my favorite. I I know it because he is so close now. (laughs) But Everything we know of him is that he's not a bad guy. Yeah. We know that he didn't like what happened to Moore. Yeah. We know that he tried to help. We know that he helped Lucian. That was the only time he defied his father. We know that he's protective of his mother. We know that he puts his brothers in line. We know that he's had an extremely traumatic and abusive childhood and has had to play games his entire life. Mm -hmm. We know that he's going to be sexy as hell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Yeah. I so that like the only we know all of these things about him and the only thing that was hurt that was hard for me to process was that scene. So I'm holding I'm holding on to what you said, Sarah, with a death grip because I need him to be my favorite male character. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's Sarah's theory is the only theory that matters that matters that we're walking away and that i'm going to write a little note put it in my wallet and carry it around with me so that whenever i'm sad i just look at it and think eris is actually a good guy (laughs) and this is why (laughs) this comes from maddie 
I listened to your mini episode five last week and wanted to share my theory. You both discuss your theory that Tamlin could potentially get a redemption arc and or slash die and that you would rather he not die via self-sacrifice. However, I've never heard you guys discuss the foreshadowing of Tamlin's death by Nesta pointing at him in Silver Flames. I don't think he deserves it, but I do think he gets a redemption via sacrifice and then definite death. Specifically, I think Tamlin dies trying to protect Nyx as a final gift slash sacrifice to Farah. What does Nesta point to Tamlin? Some at some point, I think when Cassian and Nesta go to, to yeah. the spring court. Yeah, yeah. So Maddie makes a few points, like bullet points. First, we see Nesta do the death promise point to the king. Mm-hmm. She does a similar point to Tamlin in Silver Flames. Mm-hmm. In Frost and Starlight, Tamlin asks Reese if Pharaoh will ever forgive him. And then in Silver Flames, people say Pharaoh's pregnancy has to be kept a secret from Tamlin. And then we never see his reaction. I, you know, I hadn't I hadn't thought of like the the foreshadowing of Tamlin and especially with Nesta's pointing. I thought it was funny, but more now I'm just like, oh, yeah, it actually could be straight up foreshadowing. Yeah, I can't remember if she does it just to intimidate him. I think it is, but I think it is, but it could be foreshadowing. It could. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter what her intentions are. It's what SJM it's does. What SJM knows. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I don't I could see it playing out that way. I don't know. I don't think we know enough. Yeah. He's such an interesting character. Like he really blows my mind. We recently did episode 14 recording, so people don't think that I have sympathy for him because he pissed me off so much. Yeah, he did. In episode 14, but I also recognize how tragic of a character he really is mm-hmm. and just and I I know when we get that redemption arc, SJM's going to make it hurt for us because we're going to feel bad for him at points. And then it's going to be like, oh, shit, now I kind of want him to live and Mm -hmm. be happy. But I don't know if he could ever live in a world where Pharaoh lives there. Yeah, and isn't with him. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear. I said and isn't with him. Yeah. And isn't with him or isn't able to be friends with him or isn't like they just... I don't I don't think they could ever find even if they find peace, it's not gonna be the kind of peace where they're just going to go hang out for winter vacations together. Right. Yeah. I yeah, I don't see them ever being able to, sp- to spend time together again. Yeah. Farrah doesn't owe him anything. Farrah doesn't owe him anything. And I think he's just going to hurt forever. Yeah. Which is why I do lean. He's why he's going. I think he's going to die or finds a home elsewhere. Yeah. He in could, a different he, world. I was going to say he could go through a portal and go somewhere, live somewhere else. Yeah, but it just feels very like, I don't know if that'll actually happen. Yeah. I think he's going to die. And it makes me sad already, <laughs> even though I, I can't stand him right now. Yeah, because he's a misogynistic asshole. I just want to hit him so much. I want to punch his stupid face for being a stupid, stupid man. Yeah, I do too. But also feel bad for him for dying in a situation that hasn't happened. It's or, all you're 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 feeling bad for a hypothetical. Yeah. Wow, the imagination. So strong. <laughs> <laughs> this email is from Amelia. I was curious if you had any thoughts on the song the Weaver sings when Fabra visits her cottage. The lyrics can't be random, and I wonder what role it plays in the series, or is it just a plot device? 
Its emphasis on two sisters and a father at sea felt like a connection to the Archon family. Even Maybe even the elder pushing the younger one in is Nesta pushing Feyre to hunt. But it didn't feel like a thorough connection because there's only two sisters, not three. I also thought maybe it was foreshadowing about the cauldron, especially the act of pushing, but neither ideas felt complete. The third and fourth stanzas felt reminiscent of men using women for their gain, like how the Archon sisters were pawns for Highburn, or even how favorite was a tool or possession for Tamlin and at points Reese. But then stanzas six, seven, and eight threw me for a loop. Maybe the king, queen, and sister that drowned me represent the key players in the war. The king being Highburn, the sister being Nesta, and the queen being Feyre or Vasa. I included this because, Amelia, I don't have an answer, but it sparked a different thought for me. Mm. So the lyrics are about two sisters, one being pushed in. Mm -hmm. We assume the bone carver is male because... That's how Feyre sees... That's how Feyre sees him. That's Mm -hmm. how Reese sees him. But what if the bone carver doesn't have a gender? Or what if the bone carver is a sister? They are tw- mm. the bone carver is a twin, a twin to the weaver. Yeah. What if it's the bone carver and the weaver story? Oh, I figured it out. Like, because they're both old, right? Yeah. They've been in Prithian forever. So what if this is a and Feyre remembers hearing a version of the song in the human lands. What if this is their fairy tale or their like nursery rhyme based on their history? Okay, okay, let, let's let's workshop this. When I when you were reading the email, I remember us back in season two looking at it and being like, I don't know what the hell this means. But I was, you know, listening to like the, how each stanza is just so so different mm-hmm. and everything. I was like, God, I bet this is going to be some kind of like Crescent City. Mm. crossover mm-hmm. multiverse situation mm-hmm. and you're saying bone carver and the weaver mm-hmm. right like they're mm-hmm. the sisters and one of the lines is about being thrown into something thrown into the river Wh- i mean what if like the river is going into another world like another yeah. dimension yeah right right we don't understand the fear and animosity between the bone carver and his siblings. We don't know where they come from either. Yeah, we don't know where they come from. We don't know why they're in this world if they're... Well, yeah. they kind of escaped their previous world because it got decimated. Mm-hmm. But what if that's not how it started? Yeah, absolutely. As JM is too specific about things, it is going to come back one day. Yeah. Even if she wrote it not knowing specifically, she probably was like... I'm going to do this, and one day I'm going to come back to this, and then you guys are going to be like, oh, my God, it was there the whole time. Yeah, it's so long that to include to have written it has to have purpose. It was really long. Annoyingly so. I mean, it was creepy. Because I couldn't figure it out, and I was like, what the hell? I agree. So, Amelia, thank you for sparking brilliant ideas. Did you just call yourself a brilliant I idea? Did, I did. <laughs> Amelia, thank you for questioning and being brilliant yourself. You're brilliant too, Amy. Thanks. I did. I did. The humble brag was painful for me too. <laughs> I don't think there was anything humble about it. No, it, 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 there wasn't. I don't think there was a, I don't think there was a moment of Can like, we cut that? Can we just like. No, that's staying. No. <laughs> this is from Kelly. I wanted to point one thing out that I heard in Season 3, Episode 6, when you were discussing that Feyre should feel more empathy towards her sister's trauma because she's a woman 
and she should understand the fear of personal violation. It was mentioned that Farah has never experienced any type of sexual harassment or violation, nor has she been objectified in a way that she didn't like, and this is not true. Under the mountain, Farah was forced to dress provocatively, was painted over every inch of her body, and was forced to drink and dance for Reese. I believe that at one point, Farah is even thankful for the fact that the wine makes her black out, so she does not have to be witness to what she believes may be her own sexual assault. I just wanted to point that out. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I felt that way, too. So we have a similar thought from T. She said, I'm listening to season three, episode seven, and I think it's a little unfair to blame Fira for her attitude towards Nesta. Nesta wasn't the best when they were human growing up, and that was not that long ago. I think Fira's allowed to hold a grudge. When you talked about how the library isn't for Fira because of the lack of sexual trauma or sexual assault trauma, I wanted to bring up a point. When Pharaoh was under the mountain, Reese mm -hmm. drugged her and made her dance and touched her against her will. To me, that would count as quite traumatic and a time when her body was used against her will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? We'll you say it. We wrong. were wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. We were wrong. I have no I have no qualms saying that. Uh, shoot. Missed that one. Yeah. Good job, T. Good job, Kelly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's our bad. That is our bad. We were just really upset with Pharaoh. <laughs> we were really upset with Pharaoh. And I don't. Okay. I'm not. I agree 100% with what you both said and brought up. It's not a subject Farah thinks about. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's because she ends up with Reese. Yeah. That it's like, you know, we know that Farah likes to slip something away. Now, that doesn't mean that she doesn't belong there and she doesn't un like she doesn't not not understand. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's I get it. But it is a concept that it, it's surprise. OK, yeah, it's surprising to me that she doesn't think about it more. Yeah, and it is hard to reconcile. Just like it's, she doesn't think about the time that Reese twisted her arm when it was already broken. Yeah. That he did these things because she rationalizes it as, mm -hmm. well, he was protecting me. Yeah, and again, like, I'm I'm on board with everything that they, they said. It almost makes it even harder, me, not harder for Farah, but to be like, okay, cool. So then you can understand sexual violation. Yeah. So why are you? So then why are you still treating? <laughs> like you, uh, you get it. Then I mean, we kind of our explanation was like, Farah has no understanding of it. She doesn't get it. You made a good point. She does get it. She does have an understanding. So then, like, shit, man. It's just it's bad blood between it's family trauma. But to the other emails point. There is a lot of like Nesta. What it's not like Nesta was there for her, right? And it's not like Nesta was a saint when they were human. No, no. And we totally trust me. Like the day that we cover Silver Flames, we're gonna go so hard on Nesta. Yeah, because she screwed up quite quite a bit. Yep, she did. But like this is about Farah's story, so we're gonna bully her. <laughs> And we have her perspective, so it's easier to bully her. It is easier to bully her. and But it's also about, like, her redemption because mm -hmm. she ends up finding peace, I feel like, with her sisters more yeah. towards the end. I think so, too. Um, but great emails. Yeah, we're wrong. I love it. I love people calling us out on our shit. I do. I really do, too. I have, like, it's fun because, like, neither of us have any problems being, like, no. <laughs> That's not, like, we we won't read these emails. Right, right, right. We're both, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Oops. you're right. That that's a that oopsies, but it's also it's great because it's I like I like the rebuttal. 
I like oh, people yeah. coming back and being like, hey, you missed this point. And like, oh, yeah. And then it just this is why you're smarter than we are sometimes. Absolutely. And it just brings more discussion. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it makes it more makes the discussion more rich. Yep. I agree. This email is from Brittany. Listening to season three, episode six, and you are respectfully bashing on Farah for what she did in the spring court versus how she treats the night court. You're talking about how she wears a mask in the spring court like she's a god. But we can't forget that she may be viewed as one since Farah is the curse breaker. I agree with all your thoughts, but want to defend Farah in this one aspect. Farah is playing a role that has been cast onto her by the people of the spring court, just as Rhysand plays the role of a heartless monster that other courts cast onto him. However, Rhys's mask doesn't cause him to fuck over other courts like Farah just for revenge on its high lord. I chalk this up to wisdom that she lacks based on her young age. So what Brittany is saying, so if, if for those of you who don't remember, we talk about how Feyre takes on the persona of a god in the spring court. Mm-hmm. And she kind of is manipulative of the people in the spring court. Whereas when she's back in Valoris, she's like, these are my people. And mm-hmm. my smile was a true smile. Yeah. Right. And so Brittany's saying, well, it's not like Feyre did this because she's truly maniacal, but because this is the role that the spring court gave her. Mm. She didn't choose it. She didn't feel godly. It's more that she was put into, into that godly role. Yeah. I mean, she but she leaned into it. <laughs> just like Reese le- leans and Brittany's point is just like Reese leans into his oh, evilness. Yeah. yeah. OK, I see what you're saying. Like he leans, she leans. She just doesn't know how to reel it back in yeah all right all right i I see i see what i see what you're saying i see it it's just gonna be one big apology episode (laughs) not necessarily (laughs) to the characters like sorry (laughs) sorry sorry to all the characters uh no i mean like it's a good point like she's do pharaoh is doing what she knows best and that's imitating reese and she may not be good at it yeah but Or, or too good at it i don't know yeah Depends on how you want to look at it, yeah. for sure. But, yeah, like, she's just doing what she knows. And I do think eventually we kind of talk a little bit about that, that Farah imitates violence mm-hmm. in the way that she thinks everyone else, Im- like, does violence. Mm-hmm. Like, when we talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the, I don't know when this... Summer court attack. Yeah, I don't know when this comes out, <laughs> this episode in correlation to that. But in the summer court attack, Farah has a moment that's like, whoa... My friends don't like this. Yeah. They don't like war. What? This is not what you guys were telling me. And I mean, which like later on in episode 15, we'll talk about how Reese says something about like, I would like to watch you hurt Baron or something like that. It's like, well, of course she's going to have like a fucked up image of violence. You guys sexualize it and talk about it all the time. Constantly. Constantly. So yeah, she's just trying her hardest and she just doesn't have uh, good teachers to learn from. No, she doesn't. Sorry, Farah. (laughs) (laughs) It's her apology tour. (laughs) This is from Amanda. I have an unpopular opinion. I actually liked the face and pregnancy and Nesta's role with saving Nyx, Farah, and Reese. I think SJM had to do something big to show Nesta cared and loved Farah and to actually force Nesta to show her love. Farah was providing food, hunting, and giving life to her family for all those years. 
This was Nesta giving her life back to Feyre and showing her love the way that Feyre showed her love to Nesta and Elaine. I think this was the turning point that Nesta needed and it helped her heal more too. Can I say my unpopular opinion? Sure. I 100% agree. I don't have any issues with it. No, I do too. I do too. Like, I don't like pregnancy tropes, but I actually really, I cried when Nesta saved Feyre. It's a little corny. Yeah, for sure. But that doesn't mean I, I agree. I think that Reese needed to forgive Nesta. Yeah. I think Feyre was on board with forgiving Nesta. Like, wait. I mean, there's grudges, but I think she would be easier to forgive her own sister. But and Nesta needed to forgive herself. Like there needed to be a clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think actually, to your point, Reese needed this more than Feyre needed it. Yeah. I think Feyre wants to love her sister and wants to give her those chances. Mm -hmm. But Reese is the one holding her back. Yeah. And Reese really needed to see Nesta's devotion and to understand that she does have a good heart, even if she makes bad choices. Yeah. I mean, and Nesta needed to come to the peace of like, I was never there for my sister. And now she finally gets to be there for her. Yeah. And all of that needed to happen so that when Crescent City 3 comes out, they're a united front. Yeah. And Nesta gets to fight for Reese. Yeah. Yeah. She gets to be part of his own military yeah. efforts and stuff. Like, she's going to end up being the lead of the Valkyrie and have her own army of badass women. I love it. You know, she'll be Mrs. General and... <laughs> With Cassian. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. General. Yeah, Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> Cassian General. <laughs> like, isn't that his last name? No? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, there's... I've always... I liked it. I liked the yeah. trope. It made sense why Farah wanted to have a baby to me, and I think we'll get more into that eventually. Yeah. I think we've hinted at, a, at it enough that, yeah, no, Farah would want to have a family. Yeah. Young and yeah. get into that, because she didn't have a secure family. Mm-hmm. And she wants that. Yeah. She has a legacy to fulfill. All that stuff. Yeah, it's sweet. It's just, it's sweet. And we just lost half of our no, listenership. No, don't say that. <laughs> <Before> that. <laughs> they're they're going to be pissed. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you guys might not like that. But I think, I don't know that SJM could have done anything else to redeem Nesta in Rhysand's eyes. Yeah, and they needed to be a united front, mm-hmm. which is a ick that someone has with books. Yeah, so. yeah, I think about that every time you say it, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they needed to be all together and have peace and harmony. Like, there's also no way Cassian could be put in the middle like that yeah. anymore. Yeah. And there was always so much potential for Nesta and Reese being besties. Yeah. And what I'm excited about is that we now get to see that. Yeah, I am, too. Yeah. So I'm excited to one day cover Silver Flames. One day. One day, because there's going to be so... It's going to be like a freaking 30-episode season. Oh, my gosh. It's long. <laughs> Your eyes of horror. <laughs> I know. Your one my eye. Like, puppy eyes of like, oh, don't do it to <laughs> me. Think about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to cover Silver Flames. I don't know if I want to do it in 30 episodes. But you know what? That's future us. Future That's us future us problem. <laughs> I mean, you didn't think this this season would be over. Yeah, I know. Over seventeen episodes, and here we are, twenty one. It's true. This is from Casey. Did anyone else pick up on Feyre being Cassian's what if? It felt so obvious to me throughout the series, culminating in his verbal lashing of Nesta in defense of Feyre in Silver Flames. Oh, like 
what if he got with Farah? Mm-hmm. I think you and I talk about that a little bit. A Maybe little... not in these ex- in these terms specifically, but yeah, you know, Cassian feels like a brother to Feyre. And yeah, if Reese didn't exist, maybe they would have ended up together. Mm-hmm. I could see that being the case. I do see their relationship like mine and Randall's, where my family's constantly like, why don't you marry Randall? Well, that's what we see now, like with Feyre and Cassian. Mm-hmm. But at the very beginning, when Reese was like, why don't, you know, you could go to Cassian. He mm-hmm. can, you know, he'll warm your bed. He'd mm-hmm. be a good guy to mm-hmm. rebound with. Like, that was a possibility. Yeah, it was. And Farrah didn't say no. Yeah, honestly, it would have been fun. <sighs> a scene we missed out on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> and we'll never get that because sisters aren't going to share. I know. Ugh. The pain we suffer with <laughs> not having <laughs> these scenes. Time to read some fanfic. Mm. This is from Kim. You mentioned in episode seven that Asriel goes after the most unattainable females he can find. And I have a theory as to why that is. Asriel hates himself. We get that info in the secret chapter of Silver Flames when he thinks that he should not even touch Elaine because he's dirty, scarred, and ruinous to someone like her. And that his past is what determines this. I think that Asriel is stuck in self-fulfilling prophecy. That because he hates himself and views himself as unlovable, he's unconsciously focused his attention on females he knows will never be able to fully love him, love him back in a way he wants. Moore will never love him in a romantic way because she prefers females, and Elaine will always have the bond attaching her to another male. Even if they get together, he will have the validation of, she will always be thinking of Lucian because of the bond. Validation that he is not good enough for her. He does this because one, it's easier to do this to himself than confront his past, process his trauma, and heal so that he can have a healthy relationship with himself and others. Two, torturing himself is a way of hurting himself because he hates himself. I think that before Azrael ends up with anyone, he needs to have his own healing journey where he recognizes these things. And I hope that he ends up with the person he's supposed to, who can love him and heal with him, not heal him herself. That would be a waste of a female character. In short, all the characters in this series need therapy, and I volunteer, despite being wholly unqualified. Kim, you're not wrong. Azrael does hate himself, and it's there's so much evidence that shows exactly your points. Asriel hates himself. Look at the way he treats Elaine, as you said. We're about to record episode 15, and I forget which chapter, maybe... 48. Chapter 50, actually. Oh. They're about... <laughs> actually, it was chapter 50? Actually, they're about to win out to the Illyrian camp, and Asriel goes to take Elaine's hand, and Favor is like, as if he's worried as if his scarred hands mm-hmm. would hurt her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which is like projecting once again, Feyre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does. I mean, and honestly, I feel I connect with Azrael so much on this of like just reliving this vicious cycle because you don't believe that you're good enough. Mm-hmm. And because you haven't processed your trauma or your self-hate. Mm-hmm. And it's actually very realistic to me, this this place that he's in. Yeah, it's it's extremely realistic. And. It's so his problem. I mean, I appreciate 
what she said where it's like, I don't want a female character healing him. Like, he's yeah. got to do that himself. I think he's going to need a big old rejection from Elaine. Yeah. And more really needs to make it clear it's never happening. Like, from both of them. More needs to make it clear it was never him. Right, right. Like, you were never the problem, Azrael. Like, yeah. your self-hatred, you feeling you're not worthy, like, that has nothing to do with this. This is about me. Just like Elaine eventually not being interested in Azrael will be about her, not about right. him. Right. Yeah. Azrael, Azrael actually, in a lot of ways, is a narcissist. He thinks yeah. way he's way too in his head about himself and never really thinks about the other people involved. We can say this because everyone knows we love Daddy Azzy. <laughs> we love Daddy Azzy. But like, you're right. He's really in his own head about how much everyone hates him. And I can't remember if this was a therapist or a person. Maybe this was someone else's therapist, but someone said to someone of like, no one thinks about you that much. Mm-hmm. Like, I promise mm-hmm. you, whatever you're thinking. Yeah. No one thinks about you that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of hurts when you think about it. But it's also like I get what they're saying where, you know, all this like they must hate me because of this and this and this. It's like, I promise you, they're not thinking about you like that hard. Right. right. We are our own protagonists, so we assume everyone's thinking about us as much as we think about protagonists in a book. But quite frankly, no, because they are their protagonists. They're not thinking about you. Unless you're Jack thinking about me. She thinks about me a lot. How often? I do think about you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But how often do we text each other being like, I'm so sorry. Is that okay?" And then one of us is like. I was in a meeting. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've gotten better. Yeah, we've definitely gotten better. But like, we're cool with each other. And there's so many times where all of a sudden my anxiety will spike and I'll send you a joke. And because my own anxiety is high and I have my own issues going on with me, not you, it's like, then it's like, are you mad at me? Did I, did I, what did I do? What did I do? Yeah. And then it's like, oh no, I just was living my life. (laughs) Yeah. I had a really busy day. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just like, but like you said, it's the most human relatable thing mm-hmm. that like, I mean, Azrael has it to the extreme. Yeah. Ooh. You know what? Still tap that. <laughs> and be his therapist. I'd still tap it and be his therapist. You would violate every rule. Don't care. And him. You know what? There are no rules in Prithian. <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> this is Sparta. <laughs> you just kick him over the edge. Follow him down. He buys both land on a bed. And everyone's like, how'd you get the bed at the bottom of the well? Not mad about it. No. <laughs> Half brain. Amy and I have like a special handshake. If you watch our lives, you know what we're talking about. Half brain. All right. Last but not least, this is from Mandalay. Mandalay. I think SJM hinted at Lucian's true parentage and powers at the end of Mist and Fury. When Elaine was turned into a fae, their mating bond became stronger and recognizable, just like Reese and Feyre at the end of Thorns and Roses. When Feyre was made fae, the bond between her and Reese was made stronger as well, and Reese was truly able to recognize it for what it was, and then, you know, immediately panicked and bolted. When this happens to Lucian and Elaine in Mist and Fury, Lucian is so upset by Elaine's current state, being helpless and cold on the floor that, quote, there was a flare of light, a scrape, and then Lucian was stalking toward Elaine, freed of his restraints. Jack's face, she's gaping like a fish. 
a flare of light. Maybe like Favor's light that she shines to break the wards at Hybern's castle. Jack is panicking. <laughs> the light Favor inherited from Helion's magic. Hybern is never described as loosening his magic hold on them with flares of light. Lucian unknowingly used his day court powers to ba- break through his magical restraints because of his instinctual and overwhelming need to protect his mate. Jack I, is speechless. I think I broke. <laughs> you did. Your face, your eyes were so wide and you're like laughing, but also like, what the fuck? Oh my God. I know. Mandalay, Mandalay, you did it. Oh my God. I'm still speechless. Yeah. And it's crazy how, like, Lucian doesn't even notice what he's done. Yeah. No one picked up on that? No. We didn't pick up on it. No. Like, I just need a deep breath right now. It's so fucking good. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wonder how many other, if there are other light clues that we lost. Wow. Wow. You know what? Wow. We're prepping for episode 15 today. And I know we both kind of talk about like, what's the, is it realistic that Farrah figures out Lucian is Helian's son? Mm-hmm. It would have been great to have a flashback to this. It would have. It would have. Like this would have been the, the cherry on top that would make me believe it. Absolutely. And it would have been like the holy shit, SJM, like the moment that I just had, where Mm -hmm. it's like, clearly she did do that on purpose because she knows what she's doing here. But I think she felt like it was obvious because Farrah says specifically, like, I'm tapping into the Dawn powers. Right. Power. You mean day court? Or day court. Yeah, like, I'm tapping into the day court's power. And then Lucian does the same thing. So I'm sure for SJM, she was like, bitches, it was obvious. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I wonder to what extent we miss it because it's flare, which also has a connotation of like flame. Mm-hmm. Later on, we're going to in episode 15 again. At one point, Helion gets like riled up and there's a flash of light above him, too. Mm-hmm, 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 like a flare. Oh, my. I. You know what? I don't, I'm going to say both. Mandalay. Mandalay. You get a chef's kiss. You get a chef's kiss. You get my kiss. And you also have to apologize to Amy because when I get excited about something, I get like violent aggressive. With her aggressive. <laughs> so I'm just going to. She's going to be so recording, aggressive. I'll just be like <laughs> shaking you. So you have a you have her to thank for that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this mini episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com or via our Camflare voicemail system. Please visit booktalkforbooktalk.com for more information. You can also follow us on TikTok or Instagram at the handle booktalkforbooktalk. Bye! Bye!